Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Queer to Queer Film Cast. I'm here with Britt Devon, and my name is Colin Miller. So, Britt Devon, uh, am I, first of all, pronouncing your name correctly, or would you like, uh, you know, your name lengthened in any kind of way? Because Britt seems short for something, but uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and give the floor to you to um, tell me how you want to be addressed. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I've been going by Brit lately, but my full name is Brittany Devon. Um, and I, yeah, I'm happy to be here. So it's Devon, not Devon. All right. I don't know why that was my go-to. I wanted to em- embellish it. I don't know. Totally read it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, would you mind telling me your preferred pronouns? Yes, they, she. She okay, and for the because this is the first of like I said our hopefully many episodes. If anybody is using this podcast to learn about you know queer life or to get in touch with their own queerness, we we welcome like I have said from the beginning of um, the inception of this podcast and of this film festival in general. Allies and queer people are welcome. So. Britt, if you were to tell someone what they means, what would that mean for you? Like if somebody were to just raise the question, hey, what what is that about? Um, what would you say? So I identify as non-binary and um, I have always felt very fluid in my gender and uh, I began to not to not want to conform to gender and the stereotypes of gender, um, which was a whole journey for me personally because I wasn't sure. I feel like media and society makes out sexuality and gender to be intertwined and they're not. Um, But I, you know, I began to identify as very androgynous and um, came out as non-binary about two and a half years ago. And so I adapted the they, them pronouns as an honoring of that. I think that's beautiful. And do you have any messages before we talk a little more about film um, or words of advice for people who think that they might identify that way? And if this connects to you um, in terms of anything you experienced um, at the beginning of your journey towards self-discovery, feel free to share that as well. Yeah. So I believe that we all embody a divine masculine and a divine feminine part of ourself. And that doesn't mean man and woman. Um, it's more of an energy. And I, you know, there's the political binary as well. Um, and being assigned a different sex at birth. Um, but I just want to say to anyone that's maybe questioning or feeling they'll want to explore other pronouns, change your pronouns, just understand that there are different levels of coming out and coming out only to yourself and living that truth for yourself is completely valid. Some people want to come out to themselves. Some people want to come out to close, trusted friends and or family. Uh, Some people want to come out to their communities and some people want to completely come out legally. There are different levels of coming out, but just know that you questioning it for yourself is completely natural and valid and yeah that's something i wish i would have known so (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for your vulnerability and strength. Um, I, I would I would think that there's a, a real chance that somebody could hear that and, and be helped by that. So thank you so much for sharing. So um, you've been very candid and eloquent about who you are as a person. Do, um, do you describe yourself as an actor, a performer? Um, in terms of being an artist, um, how do you identify? Yeah, so I believe that humans are creative beings. Um, and so I call myself a creative and an actor. Creative and an actor, okay. So what film, we're, we're talking, of course, about, um, you know, obviously, if this is your, the first time that you're tuning in to this podcast, we are concurrent with a film festival called the Queer to Queer Film Festival. We had our first last year. This will be our second. I'm not sure the exact date this is going to be released at the time of recording, but it will certainly be prior to November 20th. So mark on your calendar, November 20th, you can come in person if you're in Texas or if you want to journey to Texas, but you can also watch the films from anywhere in the world. We welcome all shapes and sizes of creative expression. So just, uh, and the link is going to be made available through the website and all that stuff, but um, enough pimping at this present time. Can you tell me a little bit about the film that you were in for our first, which was our 2020 uh, Queer to Queer Film Festival. Yeah, so I was the star and only actor in the film Total Catch, which was a short film that followed Sam uh, getting ready for a virtual date. <laughs> and did you conceive of the piece or was a friend of yours the person who made it? What was, uh, yeah. Yeah, so um, in Chicago about three years ago, I interned for Sarah Clark at Compass Casting, and I always said, I think you're a brilliant writer and director, I want to work with you. So in February, um, she emailed me and she said, I wrote a film and I want you to be in it and we're going to submit it to film festivals. <laughs> So she wrote it and directed it, and I was all on board. She's known me, and we've worked very intimately and personally for, you know, three years. So when I read the script, I was like, this is me. You get me, and you see me. And I was, you know, I knew her through her coming out journey, and she's actually marrying her wife tomorrow. So that's so What? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's really exciting, yeah. That is amazing. Please tell her congratulations from me and everybody at the Queer to Queer Film Festival. And um, so you you said that um, she really saw you. What what does that mean for you when a a creative that you connect with, you know, sees something in you that way? For for anybody listening who's, you know, maybe an actor or a writer or even a director or producer, you know, what um, what kind of uh, went behind that feeling there? Yeah, so when I read it and felt seen, one, she knows that a value for me as a performer is um, to completely normalize queer content. So what I loved about the script was that it didn't speak to the fact that I'm non-binary. It didn't speak to the fact that I was about to uh, meet up with someone of the same gender. Um, I. 
I just loved like that feeling of knowing I was enough on screen and that my presentation was enough and um, leaving it up to the viewer for that. In the actual dialogue of the writing, she completely captured my essence and she captured my silliness, my goofiness, my overthinking, and also my depth, um, which, you, which can be understood by watching the movie. But the way that she so brilliantly balanced that out, I thought was incredible. And do you generally look for scripts like this when you're doing work? I mean, in, in other words, I guess what I'm curious about is what are the pieces that you come across and you go, oh, I, I want to play part in this. And then is that, is there something specific in there for somebody who identifies as non-binary? And can the reverse be true? Can you read something where you're definitely not interested? I've gotten a lot of auditions for projects that it's like people looking for someone who's non-binary it was very clearly written by a straight cis person speaking mm -hmm. to the fact that they are non-binary and I am non-binary and just very repetitive uh, speaking to that and I can tell just in the, the natural way the character can re re, um, relate in the dialogue um so yeah there's definitely been roles that i'm like who's behind this and i want to know more if i were to do this project similarly i haven't seen too many scripts yet um there are uh some that i've auditioned for for larger networks that are mainly gay characters um that i really connect with and i'm trying to think it may just be, you wouldn't know in the script that the character's gay, just from reading the breakdown you would, but maybe it's like a quick little comment about being gay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example, but, and it's like very subtly, very sly, the way that someone would actually talk. <laughs> um, sure. And I think that's what's so important for writers, is like, read your work out loud. Is that how someone would talk? If you're trying to write for a queer character, Consult a queer character if you're not, if you don't identify that way. I think that's important for any writer in any form to not try to write someone else's experience that they don't understand. Um, that could go for literally anyone. But yeah, so I think that answers the question. <laughs> it absolutely did. And then some. I, I, I'm curious about the scope of casting right now because... I will tell you that you know I I identify as a as a cis gay man and you know I remember being in high school theater and everything was yeah I just I have these memories of my theater teacher going oh I need to pick something where there are boy parts she seemed obsessed because there were more cis identi or identifying cis females in theater in general which I, I can only speak for, you know, I don't want to generalize, but that was certainly the case for my school and my location in San Antonio. And I'm wondering, as we as a society are understanding that it doesn't have to be that way, we don't have to cast with a, that sense of rigidity, you know, what is the, how do you think the casting landscape has changed? How is it approached differently by agents, by cast uh, casting directors um what has your experience been with that and if you haven't seen a lot of change what do you think kind of maybe should change 
Well, it's so funny you ask this because I got into the acting world when I was um, 17. And mm-hmm. my first audition ever was for Pretty Little Liars for the role of Hannah. And um, I was just coming out of the closet. And I remember reading the role of Emily in that show, who is a lesbian. And I was like, oh, if I, if I read for this role, I would get to kiss a girl. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but I auditioned for Hannah, and um, who Ashley Benson plays. And it's funny because she's actually the one person who has dated a woman in real life. Um, <laughs> so I, I was totally different then. I had hair like 14 inches or longer, um, blonde, like very, very just like, I guess, straight cis presenting. And that was a long time ago. That was 2008. I'm aging myself. But, um, and then, you know, like I went to college and all of that, uh, for business and I kind of got out of the world, but I've been in it for three years now training full time. And I think it's so interesting because it's going to change anywhere you are. I worked a lot at the Second City and, you know, at the Second City, it was like, we kind of need one of every type. And that's when I really started to see like they're really, their type is, is really a thing. When I saw or had agent interviews, it's like, oh, we need your type. We need your type. And now thankfully I've built a team that sees me for me and my sensitivity and my talent. And it's not like I want your type or I need your type on my roster because I need to fill this and make money. Um, so that was really important for me, but I actually had a conversation with Kara um, Rosenbaum, I don't know how to say her last name, in LA, who has cast a ton of um, things, and I trained with her, and she and I had a conversation about this, and how in film, the landscape is so much slower to change, but in television, there's just so much content being created that it's actually changing a lot quicker, and even if all the writing isn't isn't like great the representation is really growing and building so I was kind of conflicted at first like I didn't come out to my agents as non-binary for over a year because I knew immediately I would be only like called in for you know queer and non-binary roles and I wanted to be very sure within myself that that is like who I who I am and um not not that that's not who I am I've always known that but that I didn't want to be type typecast. And then as I really like felt stronger in that, I, I began to prioritize, like, I want to just be on screen and the way that I look and the way that I sound and who I am helps change people's perspectives. And even if that's not spoken to. So I find it really interesting because the things I get called in for the most are either like non-binary or queer roles or like sci-fi roles. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, they're great. And I, and I actually like, I'm like, I would love to do either of those. <laughs> so that's sure. totally um, good with me. But I think it kind of speaks to the culture of television that, well, if we're not going to typecast this person as queer or how they identify on the outside or inside, um, but how they look, I should say, because that's what the business is like a lot about. Uh, I'm going to then um you know put them in a in a sci-fi world where maybe they don't fit into natural society and i'm not 
boohooing that. I just am, I just can see that. Um, mm -hmm. Like they don't know where to put someone. Yeah, I mean, I was, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of genre fiction that we put on screen and especially science fiction and horror. I feel that, that there's this tendency to explore things that society isn't quote unquote read, ready for in the genre because they can contextualize it in however you know like you said they can create a world that isn't ours and so because of that separation they can watch from a safer distance when i say they i mean the person that is still struggling right exactly we we call them the general audience right and i think that hopefully what will happen in time is that the general audience is redefined as straight, gay, queer, non-binary, yes. cis, everyone, because that's really what it is. But I think that producers are, um, you know, in a bit of a, in a fear factor place because they, they're, they're, I think in some ways, and I don't want to generalize about producers, but I feel like maybe some of them feel the pressure of their job and they go, well, I can't think of it that way because I need to do what's been done. I need to stay in the safe zone. Because it's and, all about the money. It, you, right. And I was wondering if, if you thought that maybe that's a factor in terms of movies versus television, because there's maybe let there, maybe there are lower stakes. Do you think that could I happen? think that television you have probably just as much or more money as a movie which i mean okay so say you have like an eight episode series that's like an hour episode that's eight hours <laughs> but it's like lower stakes because you're just pushing out content you have a longer time to maybe tell and or explain a story mm -hmm. um in movies it's like they're kind of i don't want to say irrelevant but you make them and then they just kind of go away and if you didn't see it like maybe you'll see it but then if it wasn't on your radar when it came out so i feel like the stakes are higher for film mm -hmm. movies you can keep like you can you know put out sequels and stuff but for television i just feel like you have a longer chance to if the pilot gets picked up you have a longer chance just to like tell a story and that could be part of it honestly yeah so you mentioned in, um, in an answer to, I think, the question just before the last one. I don't know why I'm getting bogged down in specifics. It was this specific answer to this specific question. I guess we mentioned sci-fi and I'm, I've become a robot. Anyway, so you mentioned your talent. And I would say that, you know, and I'm going to have lots of people on here. I was not in charge of picking the films or awarding the people. I just facilitated the the actual, you know, film festival itself and, and trying to you know, makes more people aware of it. But I, I did want to say that just on a personal note that um, yours was in my top five performances and especially comedic performances. I was very struck by um, your dedication to the character because in, even though it was a comedy, there were, you could feel we were just talking about stakes. Well, you could feel the stakes for this person. And so I guess I, my leading question, because I wanted to talk a little more about, um, you know, your film. How do you balance the two as a performer when, when you go, all right, so this is supposed to be funny, but I've also got to keep it real. Well, first, I want to thank you for saying that. That means a lot. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, 
honestly, with my performance or with a task such as so, it's so easy to get in my head at least. I'm not going to talk for everyone, but like I feel like it's kind of a general experience. Um, but it can be easy to say, okay, I got to do this and this and this. And you, and I, I think through, okay, that would look like this. And then I notice it doesn't execute that way. So what I find is that I do all the character work and the prep and all of that. And on, on top of it, like I said, I felt really seen in this character. So I felt safe in the space. It was like a, we filmed during COVID. So it was a very small you know, casting crew, or it was a very small crew, um, and I trust Sarah, the director, and I just um, felt, the best way I can answer that is I kind of let my, I channeled or let my essence of me flow through the performance. I trusted the dialogue, I trusted all of that, and I just let myself react authentically in the moment. It was difficult in, at times because I was with myself, so I wanted to make sure that it was reading um, and that I could connect to an audience, even though it wasn't through another person. But I feel like, you know, I, I accomplished that. Um, and it's really just trusting the training, trusting the prep, trusting the director. And I mean, we filmed it in 30 minutes. Like we filmed it super quick, um, oh so it, the whole thing. And I had you know the wardrobe undressing me, redressing like, it, but it was all in one space. So I feel like I was just like, okay, I can like trust the arc of this story, and um, yeah, it's it was really an internal process, and I think the gift and the beauty of the rehearsal and all of that is it was really with myself. And so I was just like, it was a new lesson in trusting myself. When you are in such a, I mean, this has to be the very def definition of a fast paced shoot. I've never heard of an entire short film being made in 30 minutes. So first of all, bravo. It, <laughs> there's probably some record that you guys have broken. But, it, but anyway, so when you have that short amount of time and, you know, one location, you're, it's one actor, how do you handle not stagnating in terms of energy? Because all you have really is the, the synergy between director, editor, and actor. So how do you create that sense of time? Because like you said, you only had a few tools, you only had your, your outfit changes. And did you ever struggle with that? Or um, did you and the director dialogue about that? Um, I think that the way the script was written and the shots that we wanted to get, it was so broken down that I just took it shot by shot. And I feel like because of that, it kept it really fresh and new. Wonderful, wonderful. I I loved the film. I think that, you know, people should go to the Queer to Queer website and check it out. It's gonna be available. We we believe in, you know, even after the films are done what it will excuse me after the film festivals you know quote unquote completed we believe in honoring the filmmakers by you know keeping it on our website making sure people can revisit it and we're ultimately trying to create a pantheon of of queer work that can exist forever so uh, other than you know there 
where can people find this film? Where can they find, you know, your director's work and your work? Yeah. So um, the best way to find my work is my website, www.brittanydevin.com, um, or my Instagram, Brittany Devin Official. I post like what's going on there. The film is gonna, I'm trying to think of what's upcoming. The Los Angeles Queer Film Festival, East Village Queer Film, film Festival in New York, uh, Long Beach Queer Film Festival, and Reeling 39, um, the International Film Festival in Chicago. Those are like the, the soonest ones coming up. Um, and Sarah Clark, her work can be found at, she's, she just directed um, something, I'm not sure what it's called, but she, I would say her website or follow like Compass Casting, that's her casting agency. She's casting work all across the nation. She just cast a Lionsgate Christmas movie. Um, she's really growing and it's really awesome to see. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and also they have to message her, you know, drop into her DMs on Instagram and get her address so they can send her a wedding gift because, you know, right? when this comes out, they'll have been married and, you know. I know. I just sent mine off. <laughs> Wonderful. Was it one of the outfits from the shoot? Actually, that was a question I had. Were they your outfits or were yes. they? Okay. Never mind. Yeah, well, I mean, they all looked wonderful. I was just, you know, <laughs> actually was, you know, I was thinking about that the other day because I'm trying to, you know, get a couple of short films off the ground. And I don't, because of the, the again, it, it's in terms of the story that you tell, right? But I'm like, these are just people that you could be. So why do we need to futz with the costumes? You know, let's just... Let's let's save save some money, right? Hey, bring your own clothes. <laughs> yeah. You like them? They ex you like? I don't know. Your clothes are an expression of who you are. So just you know, do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it sounds exciting to me. Like if somebody told me that you know you're you're playing somebody in a world where you could inhabit. It's not you're not playing like we were talking about. It's no sci-fi thing mm -hmm. in the box. So bring like four outfits and. Mm -hmm that would be so cool because I'm, I, I would then, it would be one more way for me as the actor. I, I, I act here and there. It'd be one more way for me to start creating my character, you know, who am yeah. I with this? And so did that play a factor in your choices? Um, I think, I think it just kind of tied into the essence of who I was because of all the costume changes. I was like, they're all parts of me. And by the end, what I end up wearing, I'm like, this is just me. And that's what it felt like emotionally and energetically and even physically in the film. Like, okay, this is who I am. And um, I don't have to dress it up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say so. I think it definitely helped with the arc and it made it a lot of fun too. And the physical action, I think, kept it fresh as well. And to wrap up with just a few nerdy questions, uh, do you have any heroes in film? And this can be anybody from an actor to a director to a writer to an editor. Oh, man. I have a few. I will list them. Britt Marlene is a genius in my mind. Um, she uh, she created the OA. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's like my all-time favorite show. Um, good reason. 
Yeah. And lately stuff I've been watching, well, I have some in general, but Mindy Kaling is one of my like queens. I love her. Um, it's like a goal of mine to work with her. And I also recently watched Mayor of Easttown and Kate Winslet. I really love what she's doing, especially for women in Hollywood and just like the rawness and the truth. And because of her hard and like lifelong work ethic and her career path, I've always loved her, but like what it's, I mean, she sent back the poster at it's like 15 times and was like, stop editing this. I have this many wrinkles under my eyes, leave them there. And something so simple like that, I think it's so important. Um, and then I love Issa Rae, uh, Laverne Cox, Jamie Clayton. I also love the Wachowskis who, um, The Matrix, all of that. But Sense8 is another one of my all-time favorite shows. Gone too soon. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And then I also want to shout out Brian Jordan Alvarez. Um, he is like a, he does it all. Um, he wrote, directed, produced, and starred in The Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo. Gallo. Yeah, on YouTube. And that was like, when that came out like seven years ago, however long, you know, I was still living in Michigan and I was just a Midwest little person at the time. And it was the most uh, representation I'd ever seen. And the way it was executed, it's the most quoted thing amongst me and my friends. <laughs> so, um,. Yeah, I think it's stuff like that changes the world. And I'm all about creating your own content. So he's definitely an inspiration for me in regards to that. Oh, and also one thing I've watched lately that I think is absolutely brilliant um, is Kaylee Cuoco in The Flight Attendant. I just rewatched that series, I think, for the third time. And the the journey and the inner child healing and the, just the storyline, the structure, the execution, all of the fully rounded characters and the world they built. It's just brilliant. And that's on HBO. Um, but yeah, so that's like a list of people I follow and love their work. <laughs> I would say that all of those people and projects would be on my list as well. And again, you know, I hope that you know that I'm being honest and this isn't connected to my earlier comments about how much I love your talent. <laughs> It's all just me being me, I promise. I love it. Um, <laughs> but okay, so I just have to know, because I love my furry friends, are you a pet person? Oh my god, am I a pet? <laughs> I want to save every animal ever. Um, yes, I am. I grew up riding horses. I rode horses for over 20 years. Um, but right now I have three dogs and I have a bunny I just rescued, and I have a tortoise. A tortoise? Mm-hmm, her name is Luna. Oh my God, I I fell in love with this turtle at the um, Fort Worth Zoo a few weeks ago that looked like Littlefoot. I, I don't remember the- Ah, Lamb Before Time. <laughs> right, he had this really long neck and that kind of, that rounded beak that's probably mm -hmm. the term for it but i was just i got oh it's right a beak is right i just got hardcore little foot vibes and i absolutely i was like i just just i'm just gonna i'm just gonna catwoman a little hole right here in the glass and we're just gonna you're just gonna <laughs> come with me and we're gonna have a great time yeah, yeah. harry potter him through <laughs> um that's so funny i was just talking about little foot last night with some friends that movie Okay, we'll we'll take a moment to talk about the Lamb Before Time because 
I brought this up. I was a guest on Psychology in Seattle, and we we were talking about you know animated films, which ones really hit home for us as children, as adults, and everything. Mm-hmm. And Lamb for Time was like number five or something on my list. And the reason is, is because, you know, I can watch five seconds of that movie or even just see a screenshot and start to well up because Don Bluth created such a visceral experience for a child. And if you had any kind of fear or you were feeling like you weren't sure of something when you were a kid and you watched The Lamb Before Time, he absolutely took you on this emotional roller coaster and that you will never forget and i and like do you think that if if a if a person that was you know whatever the ages of like five to ten if they watched it now do you think they would have the same experience that we did that's a good question it depends i guess like what they've been exposed to i i, I don't know if they would find it like slow um uh-huh. or something I don't, I don't know, but I, that movie lives on forever in me. I need to watch it again. Yeah. And, uh, part, even just talking about it is like, yeah, I feel like you and I need to share a true star or something. I'm like, yeah, for yeah. Real. okay. So last two questions, um, cue the, you know, invisible drums, but well, actually this isn't a question. It's more of a provocation, hopefully one that, um, you accept would you describe your happy place to me yeah um okay so let me think about it let's take a few breaths we'll we'll have a little inhale exhale with the all imagine (laughs) this is a this is a visual meditation um i would say that there are two things that come to mind and one is uh on the beach in saint martin which is an island in the Caribbean um just the blue water I love Enya and anyone that's super close to me knows that I love Enya and I've listened to her every single night when I sleep since I was a baby and Caribbean Blue is my like all-time favorite song by her and um so I remember going there with my mom and we we went a couple times together and it's just that beach and like this, the white sand is probably, I love beaches. I love nature in general. So I would say that is probably like my happy place. The other place that comes to me is uh, the trail, the hiking trail to Cannon Beach in Portland, Oregon off of Mount Hood um, and the rainforest there. So anywhere in nature by water, I guess, but those two are very like, they just feel like home to me. And then in honor of your short film, which again, you can watch on the Creative Queer website. Yeah. Total Catch. What makes someone a total catch for you? Yeah. Um, I would say it's a dynamic of things which kind of are captured in the film. Like total openness, honesty, commitment someone who like will dive into their depths and meet me meet me there um and who like can laugh and not take themselves super seriously and just have fun and just totally be in the moment like that you forget that time exists kind of feeling um just someone that's really like real and not in the way that like I feel like the world thinks real is these days like someone that can it's an energy, it's a vibe. (laughs) 
but I think those words tie it up for me. Um, yeah. And any last words about not not like any last words, but <laughs> any words you'd like to leave the the listeners with who are um, looking forward to change um, for LGBTQ people on screen. Yeah, I just want to say one thank you for listening and supporting queer work, even in listening to this, you are doing that. Um, just know that this world is hard and life can really suck sometimes. And I know that sounds really cheery, but I just wanna say that know you are not alone and know that I've probably been there and through that, darkness even when it feels like it's not gonna give up just know that you are valid and that this is all the journey of becoming who you are so keep supporting even if you feel like you can't support yourself finding community finding culture finding something that makes you feel like a little bit more of you is always worth it and it will actually bring you more home into yourself so Anyway, I'm always here to talk and reach out. Follow me on Instagram, and we'll have a nice heart-to-heart. <laughs> well, those are words to live by, words to create by. Thank you so much for being with us today, uh, Britt Devin. And I'm sure we'll you know, see you in some more stuff on screen very soon. I look forward to, to all of the work that's going to come our way from you. Yeah, thank you. thank you, Colin. I appreciate you having me. You're part of our Q to Q family now. So we'll be chatting again soon. Grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Britt. See you later. Bye.